Welcome to In Discussion and Crossing Over the Bridge, the tenth in the series. And the panel today, Professor William Tiller and Drunvalo Makisadek. Drunvalo Makisadek reintroduced sacred geometry to the world in a manner that is understood by most people. He was also the first person in modern times to geometrically and mathematically describe the living, breathing Mirkabah to the world. The 55-foot tetrahedron, light body, that surrounds the human body. He has brought to the attention of the world the sacred space of the heart, and through the sacred space, the connection to the creation process. Once lived, that person understands how everything in the universe came to be, which gives them the means to reach into higher consciousness and human potential. He graduated from UC Berkeley with a degree in fine arts, and a minor in physics and mathematics. He's written four books which are described in over 100 countries in a vast number of languages, and he founded the Flower of Life Facilitators Program, which taught his work in over 60 countries with 350 teachers. He's a world traveler personally teaching in about 70 countries, and now he's creating a new teaching system that will be introduced into the world in the summer of 2011. His latest work, The Birth of a New Humanity, includes the first time shared information about the crystal consciousness grids that surround the Earth, mankind's evolution out of Atlantis, and their development globally by many cultures over the last 13,000 years, and the amazing science that has been discovered around the pyramids and temples worldwide that has even been presented to the United Nations. Also presented is the true story of one particular grid, often called the Unity Consciousness Grid, and how it has finally come to birth since February 2008. Quoted recently, The birth of this new living consciousness grid is for certain, I believe, the most important story since Atlantis, and yet hardly anyone on Earth is aware that it has happened or what it means for humanity. One thing is clear, the outcome of this global consciousness transition is going to affect every single last person on this planet. If you know what has now become history, your heart can rest knowing that what is to follow in our lives is one of the greatest gifts that Source has given to mankind. Fellow to the American Academy of the Advancement of Science, Professor Emetris William A. Tiller of Stanford University's Department of Material Science spent 34 years in academia after nine years as an advisory physicist with the Westinghouse Research Laboratories. He's published over 250 conventional scientific papers, three books, and several patents. In parallel, for over 30 years, he's been avocationally pursuing serious experimental and theoretical study of the field of psychoenergetics, which will very likely become an integral part of tomorrow's physics. And in this new area, he's published an additional 100 scientific papers and four seminal books. For the last 400 years, an unstated assumption of science is that human intention cannot affect what we call physical reality. Our experimental research of the past decade shows that, for today's world, and under the right conditions, this assumption is no longer correct. 
we humans are much more than we think we are, and psychoenergetic science continues to expand the proof of it. Professor William Tiller and Dronvalo Makisadek join me today on Crossing Over the Bridge. Welcome to In Discussion today, and I am very pleased to be joined on this Crossing Over the Bridge program with Dronvalo Makisadek and Professor Bill Tiller. Gentlemen, welcome to you. It's constantly amazed with these programs, how we can bring you fine gentlemen together. It, it's an honor. Maybe I could start with you, Bill. I know that you have spent time with Dronvalo before, perhaps starting off as an introduction. Ah, well, I think it was a magazine that you had uh, when you were in Payson. I was, in, well, I'm still in Payson part of the time. And uh, someone of your organization, uh, asked me to write an article on what I was doing. Oh, and nice. I've forgotten the details of that, but that was yeah, sort yeah. of the first introduction. I think we met by chance in a restaurant at some point, other point in time that someone else had convened a bunch to group. And, uh, but that's it. We yeah, haven't had I a mean, really it, a lot it, of interaction. It's a ca- casual relationship, for yes, sure. Been, but I have followed a lot of what you have done in your life and... You have an amazing life, Bill. I was just thinking about that this morning. We were talking with a young friend that was working with me, and we were imprinting a device uh, this morning for a, a broadcasting experiment. In this particular case, it's uh, from a distance broadcasting a specific intention and having it manifest either hundreds of miles, and the most recent one was 6,000 miles from here, which we're writing a paper on. That's uh, one of the new things. It's very pleasing to see that there is another information channel in the universe through which we can communicate, not and not with electromagnetism, but with another energy from the subtle domains, in particular a vacuum-level energy, and have it actually actualize uh, a process occurring 6,000 miles away. Yeah, uh, I, I've been involved with Russia for the last few years and what they've discovered about the vacuum and gravity because mm-hmm. they link, they link the two together interestingly enough and uh, and they're coming up with very similar things uh, what they found is just amazing if if it ever actually manifests on earth i believe it's going to change all of physics completely oh well all uh, of physics needs to be changing because the orthodox physics we have is just the direct distance time part and and that doesn't even handle anything in humanity. Humanity, yeah. the, the issues of consciousness and intention and motion, mind and spirit, etc., they, they're not distance-time-dependent phenomena, and therefore the orthodox science cannot handle them. You have to develop another reference frame in the universe yeah. to deal with them, and you, we've got a lot of work to do to uh, well, put it all together I, in a quantitative way. I really agree with that. <laughs> yeah. I think that we need to... Uh, even though physics does look at things without life, it's the physical. Yeah, it's just uh, the meat. You can't really do it because too many things. Life is part of the of the way things are unfolded in life in reality, and uh, and so that equation, if you leave it out, doesn't really give you the truth. No, I totally agree because basically, the in humans we have a meat part, which Orthodox science can deal with. But we have a consciousness part, 
which needs another frame of reference, but the consciousness part can perturb the meat part because yes. consciousness can be a significant experimental variable in physical reality. So there's a lot of change that's going to have to be made in order to truly get out of the box and move into the stars where we belong. How would you gentlemen think that that catalyst will come about to make that change? Because it's very clear that is what we're in the middle of now we're in this epoch or point any terminology you like but we're traveling through it what is it that is going to occur here to change this quantum thinking into a conscious thinking well in my own case of course it's just it's a question of continuing to do research to show that experimentally that that as is the case that works and talk about it uh, publish on it bring it to the human consciousness and eventually those orthodox science they won't be able to stay in the box because the general public will demand that they get out of the box. Well, on top of that, there's there's been mistakes that have been made in physics a long time ago. Newtonian of physics in terms of gravity is just, it's not that it's wrong, it's just an isolated case and doesn't fit into almost everything because it leaves out spinning. Certainly and the spinning thing is, is, a, is a piece, um, which of course the Russians uh, have done a lot of work on, the stuff that I've, I've sort of worked at a bit myself, we've, we've seen gravity effects in our work, which we do by consciousness, by lifting the gauge symmetry state of the space. So there, I agree that there's a, well, for example, the issue of, of um, dark matter, dark energy. It, that's, to me, it's, it's the negative energy domain that Dirac talked about, about back in the 20s. And uh, although there's a different gravitational force from that kind of matter or substance in the universe, you still can get interaction between the, well, you can have dark matter interacting with dark matter, and that gives you a positive gravity, just as uh, our normal electric matter uh, interacting with normal electric matter gives positive interaction of gravity. But if you have the electric interaction matter and the dark matter interacting, then you get a repulsive force, and that's what gives rise to the acceleration of the envelope of planets and stars out at the edge of the cosmos. That's why they're repelling, running away from each other rather than being attracted to each other. Can I just ask you, John Velo, for our listeners to define that spinning that you mentioned? Well, uh, some time ago uh, they discovered that if you, you're in a near vacuum, and you drop two objects that are the same exact mass and size, uh, they're going to hit uh, at the same time. But they then discovered that if they spin one of them, and, and they put them in electron balance, and they got them as close as they could in all ways, and they were uh, stainless steel balls, if I remember right. But one of them, they, had, they dropped them, but one of them was spinning at 20,000 RPMs, and the other one was stationary relative to the room. And when you dropped them, the one that was spinning fell something like four or five feet quicker than the other one. You didn't have to measure it. You could see that it hit earlier. And then another experiment they did was they shot them up into the air, and so they would go up and then fall. And the one that was spinning, 20,000 RPMs, went about four or five, six feet higher and hit the ground four or five, six feet earlier. And obviously, I mean, uh, sure, you have to measure this carefully, but you could see instantly that the Newtonian laws were not true in this case. And everything's spinning. Everything. All, all electron, all, you know, all atoms are spinning, planets are spinning, suns are spinning, moons are spinning. 
everything is spinning. And so uh, to apply the physics and mathematics and using that as one of your foundations, it's going to lead you into the wrong direction. What is the practical application of that? Oh my, let's, let, me, let, uh. let me input here just for a little bit, because if we go back to the, the Broly particle pilot wave, then the concept was that there was a wave action interacting with any particular particle. Well, if you look more deeply and you do it in the relativistic sense, what you find is that when you do it from a relativistic point of view, you find that you have a particle and you have a group wave around the particle that's interacting with the particle, but you also have a faster-than-light wave which is present in the system at all, and it is what is guiding the group wave, which is guiding the particle. Now, that said, then it turns out from my work, you have to have a coupler to coupler, couple the faster-than-light uh, stuff with the slower-than-light stuff. And that says that in every fundamental particle we have discovered in nature, that we have this kind of uh, faster than light and slower than light. And so the coupler is there with everything. And so when you talk about, uh, let's say, a, an electron or a proton or whatever, an, an atom, more, com more and more complex systems, but you find then that the, that the faster than light wave, which is the pilot wave, which is interacting with a group wave around the electron, and you then have to have this coupler substance, which I call deltron in my stuff, is that it is what's holding them together, but it is what causes the system to spin. And it's that, it's that spinning system, then, that gives a magnetic dipole, and you, and you see this kind of effect generated, so that the gravitational issues are really fairly complex when you get down to, the, to that level of reality. So I, I agree with what Dunvalo is saying. The... And, and it's always going to be this way. You know, as we go deeper and deeper into nature, we're going to find other, other fields, other substances, and therefore we, we, that, that perturbs the standard physics that we have. And the deeper we go into nature, we will continue to perturb it, and we'll get the next approximation to the truth, and then the next, and then the next, and then the next. John Vella. Well, uh, immediately my thoughts were when you apply that to subatomic particles or sm sm the small world, I'd say, yep. you get into the macrocosm, how does that apply to a planet or a sun? Well, there are, I mean, the issue, <laughs> the issue in part is it's a big piece of stuff made up of these small pieces of stuff that have these effects. Uh, quantum mechanics, for example, um, it talks about an entanglement of particles and so on, but they really only occur in the quantum domain as you go down close to absolute zero in temperature and very small things. But in our experiments, we're seeing entanglements over, well, the furthest we've gone is 6,000 miles, and we see them in macroscopic bodies. I mean, 10,000 cubic feet rooms interacting with that and doing it at room temperature. So it's entanglement, and we see not only entanglement over distance, but we see entanglement in time. So there's just an awful lot that has to be altered when you expand your perspective to get out of the box. Bill, ha have you looked at what Nassim Harriman is doing? Have you? I've, I've looked uh, at some of, some of that, and that is generally um, 
at least what I have seen, is generally distance time a phenomena stuff that he did with Elizabeth Rauscher. That's what I've seen. I haven't haven't really seen anything directly that he has done that is in the higher dimensional domain. Mm-hmm. Although he he certainly is in touch with it in, in conversation. I certainly hear that in the things that he has to say. He's uh-huh. reaching similar conclusions to what we are, and ours come largely from coupling with other domains of reality. Yeah, he has a different idea about right. what's causing the spin on things, which has to do with the way gravity is. I started to talk about the Russians, and I, and I think that this might be interesting to you, Bill. I don't know if you have looked at uh, their theories, that these new theories. They, they came up with a new theory of everything right at the time when uh, Russia was collapsing. Mm-hmm. And, and and it was about, I don't know, 25 or 30 Russian scientists and one German scientist. And they uh, then decided, because of the power of what they thought that they had, uh, they hid it. They, they went secret with it. And then when Russia finally emerged out into what it is now, then the mafia formed and they were afraid the mafia would get it. And so they uh, now have just started to release this information out of Germany, out of Munich. About two years ago, they they gave a demonstration of this to about 500 world scientists and their ideas really are different than anything that I've ever read about anywhere. One of the things that they found uh, is they have a different concept of gravity, different than anything I've ever seen. They have discovered that gravity and zero point or or the vacuum are the same. Oh, but let, let, let me correct one thing. The, the zero point is not the vacuum. That's a, that's a big mistake. The zero point is the zero point of temperature. I mean, that's what was defined as the zero point in about 1935. Okay. And the people uh, who, who want to talk about extracting energy from the vacuum, they've called it the zero point, but it's, it is the vacuum. The vacuum, of course, contains a huge latent yeah. energy, just immense. I have to admit, I, I use those interchangeable sometimes. And, that, and, I, and I think that's a mistake that if we don't correct now, it's yeah. going to be a bear to correct when, when we finally get around to it. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I understand. Okay. Well, what they've discovered, they tie it to the, the vacuum and gravity. They say are either the same or interconnected. Well, they're and what they interconnected because we find when we condition a space and we do experiments with uh, scale pans and such and, and the mass of things, they change. But what they what they found is that is that gravity is conscious. It's well, that, aware. That's, that's right. We find that it is our in, we are able to change these things with intention. We use intention, which is a byproduct of consciousness, yes. <clears throat> to lift the symmetry state to a higher level of reality. And then, when we do experiments in a space that's at that gauge symmetry state, then our intention can change the gravity of things at least as measured by scale pans. They say one more thing. They say that when a person is in the experiment and connecting to the gravity field, Mm -hmm. they break gravity and they float off the ground. Have you ever heard this? No, I haven't heard that. That's that's interesting. But, of course, I, in my modeling, levitation is a natural process which, which you can generate in your own body if you pull in these deltrons so that you can connect these two domains of nature, the electric stuff uh, going slower than light and positive mass, 
to the magnetic stuff, which goes faster than light and has negative mass because it has negative energy. In essence, the this uh, kind of symmetrical system can be there, and then intention, of course, it really acts on that level of reality. It doesn't act on our normal electric atom molecule level of reality, but if you couple the two, then, of course, you get the action. They did an experiment about two, maybe three years ago, two, I think it's two and a half years ago, I guess, uh, in Germany, in Munich, and I'd like to describe this experiment. Yeah, please uh, do. The, the, the way that they were, the, this new proposal that they have uh, uh, is extremely interesting. I mean, it, it goes against a lot of things. For one of them is, is like in terms of probability, when you're looking where the electrons are and where the protons are, etc., there is no uh, guessing in their system. They have, they have a mathematical system that they say will determine where every single proton is in the universe at any one moment. There, there is, there's no doubt exactly where it is. And, uh, but when they applied this recently in this experiment with these 500 scientists, they chose communications as a way to show it. And they took two computers, and one was in Munich, and the other one was somewhere else in the world. I'm not really sure where it was. And, and they had half of the people in one part of the world and half in the other. And then they were able to transmit data from one computer to the other without any electromagnetic fields whatsoever, mm -hmm. except in the computer itself. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it, they used gravity to transmit the information. And what they discovered in this and, and what they showed is that, the first of all, the bandwidth between the computers when you're using gravity is infinite, literally infinite. The only thing that limits it is the computers themselves. Yeah, I hear the words. And, the, and then the other thing is, is that the time that it takes to go from one computer is zero. It is not any time at all. And um, the distance doesn't matter. Yeah. So you could go across 16 billion light years. It doesn't matter how far it is. Well, it's still zero time. See, generally there are troubles with infinity and with zeros because when people say something happens simultaneously, all that really means is that it happens faster than one can discriminate it with their measurement instruments. Yeah, Which that's means, what we usually think, but they are very clear on this, that no, it is zero. Well, it I, I is hear absolutely them. zero, that, they, that there is no time at all. Yeah, I, I hear that being said, but, but you know but how But I understand where you're coming from, but I'm just trying to describe what the Russians, yeah, how they're, yeah, they're coming from. I mean, I, I accept what they're saying, but I, I'm saying there is a difficulty, because they, no one has shown that they have instruments that can measure these things. We probably have some of the sensitive instruments that let us detect, and we, uh, we do have several detectors where we're measuring things that appear to be happening faster than light, but we don't have enough instrumentation to be able to nail it down. So, and, and the dilemma is going to be that you use, they may use gravity as, as their uh, watchword, uh, where I'm using deltrons. I don't I have no idea. You have to. We've got a language of apples, and we've got to now start describing oranges. And we don't have the language. That's, that's part of the dilemma. And so we have to tread very carefully, I think, to uh, try to be clear and try to be open to the fact that, that we may misunderstand each other because we're using different words for the same thing. But I think it's wonderful that they're doing, that that work is being done and being talked about. I haven't been... Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of a particular man who 
uh, from Germany and from Munich, I think. I'm trying to remember the name. And it seemed like very interesting material, but I haven't probed it deeply. Let me back off from the deep scientific thought and ask you, Drunvalo. I'm looking at today, and I am definitely seeing a chaos in the world. And we are being told this, of course, by many different philosophers and through prophecies. Do you have an idea on any sort of timeline as to how the world is going to change. In listening to Barbara Marks Hubbard last night on a podcast, there is a definite evidence here that the end of next year in some way is going to change the world. Could you define that in your mind? Well, my main interest in life has been studying consciousness within the body and around the body. And so I've been studying the energy fields that surround us, which are about 60 feet around us. And, and so I focus more on that than anything else. And I've also spent a great deal of time uh, with indigenous tribes around the world, lots of them. One of those is the Mayans, and, uh, and, and specifically the Grand Ditsa Mayan Council on the Yucatan. They have their own ideas about uh, what is actually occurring right now. And the Hopi are in complete agreement with them from what uh, I've sat in a circle with both of them at the same time and they, they, they talk about the same thing. I mean, they believe everything is tied to cycles and that we are coming to a time when there are quite a few cycles all coming together almost at exactly the same moment. And, uh, and they, their predictions are is that, uh, well, first of all, the Mayan prediction that has been gone around the world, made movies at and everything else is only the first half of the prediction. It's the, um, it's the part where the old cycle or the, or the one half of the procession of the equinoxes uh, is coming to a close. And the second half of the procession of the equinoxes is uh, starting anew, a new, a new cycle. The old cycle, they, they all agree that this world as we now know it is going to be devastated. It's, it's the old uh, male way of, of perceiving the reality from their point of view is just going to go. And that the new feminine way, which is the, the new part of this next cycle, is going to uh, take over. But they state very clearly that this cycle is different than any other one that's happened in their memory. And it changes the world really forever. We don't just uh, start a new cycle and, and just kind of keep going in a spiral, but something changes in a way where uh, our, first of all, in the new cycle, they're talking about how the quarantine where we've been here on Earth not having any contact with any life forms anywhere in the universe, uh, they say that's over. That's over. Uh, uh, well, the, the final date on that is January 1st, 2016. But, but sometime between now and then, and not necessarily on December 21st, 2012, uh, they, they claim that, that uh, we will change in consciousness so dramatically and so quickly that we, will not, we won't actually be human anymore. We will be something different. I don't know what you're going to call it. We'll look human, but our way of perceiving the reality will be really different. And that we will then be able to... Um, interface and interconnect with uh, other races everywhere. You know, how that could happen uh, at this point, how, how do we know how that could happen? But they're pretty clear. Uh, they, they're convinced that this is going to happen. Professor Bill Tiller, would you like to respond to that? I'll tell you what my take uh, is in this general area. And I've, I wrote about it in uh, 
chapter nine of my recent book, my most recent book, uh, Psychoenergetic Science, and it it really is the model that I've always had is the the old uh, stated model of the outbreathing and inbreathing of the all, and and what that is, it's the it's the generation and establishment of basically uh, three in the out outbreathing uh, phase three pre-physical uh, epochs, the uh, Mu. See, it's an issue of our departure in consciousness from, from the One, from the coherent source. And, uh, and the first uh, step down of consciousness was Mu, and then the second step down further. And when I say step down, it's sort of in my general intuitive thinking it's like a factor of 10 in uh, a 10 to the 10th pardon me in in consciousness and so you come down from mu to lemuria to lemuria to uh, atlantis to our present the physical and the physical came out of the vacuum uh, so they were all pre-physical and then the 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 greatest departure in consciousness is our our era? Uh, we were not, we're not very conscious. I mean, our unconscious is at least a million times greater bandwidth than our conscious. Our conscious is less than fifty bits per second, and so the other is is even for the five physical senses is sort of fifty million bits per second, and that doesn't take into account higher dimensional uh, aspects. Um, and so we are coming. We're coming. We've come down. And, and basically we've reached sort of the minimum of consciousness and we're starting to head back home on the spiral of change. And we're very close to an epoch. I don't see it as early as, as uh, Drunvalo was saying, but I certainly see us making a transition to a, a post-physical epoch, which will be a, a huge step up of consciousness. It's, it's as if our conscious mind will be at the value of around our present unconscious, and then the unconscious at that level will again be up huge amounts. And every step of the journey back home will make something like a factor of 10 to the 10th jump in consciousness. And so all of the things that Trunvalo has really been talking about, it seems to me they they also are internally self-consistent with this kind of picture. But the, it is that we will be so very different because our outer envelope of consciousness will not be seen as physical reality. What would your response to that be, Dranvalo, in terms of our place dimensionally? Are we talking about a fourth or a fifth dimension? You have to define the dimensions. Uh, the, the dimensions that, are, as I see dimensions, are not what mathematics sees dimensions. I don't agree with it at all. Uh, I, I, I see the dimensional levels uh, separated by frequency, and this frequency separation is identical to music. There is no difference at all. But do you see them all as electromagnetic? No. So it has uh, to be much more than frequency separation. Yes, but I mean... Uh, if you were to measure where they would be from where we are now, that would be a way to do it. But once you get there, it is not; it doesn't apply. And so, 
but from here, you can actually measure. This world here, as I see it, is 7.23 centimeters long. That's the wavelength of this universe. And from there, you could calculate where the other ones would be based upon where we are now. But it doesn't work that way from my own experience. I've been in these other worlds. I, uh, and when you get there, it, uh, none of this stuff applies. because It does, but it doesn't. Yeah. Because experientially, it's the experience of it is so different. Fourth dimension is so different in this world that if, it, if anybody were to suddenly drop into the fourth dimension, you would be a baby. You wouldn't know anything that's going on. You, the colors are not the same. The shapes, they're unimaginable from, from us. But it is a, it's just another step. And from what I see and from what I, from what I feel that I know, we're going to uh, make a transition here very soon. I, I know that to see this transition happening this quick seems impossible, but uh, I, I, I do agree with the Mayans and the Hopi and also the Kogi and the Arawakos, who I think are much higher than they are than the Mayans. And that we're about to make a transition that when you say 10 to the, uh, to the 10th, uh, this is... Yeah, it, it, I, I couldn't measure it in those kinds of ways, but, I, but it is huge. It is absolutely huge. For one thing, when you get there, and this I do know, this is part of my experience, is that on this level here, we are creating everything we see. And, but the, the, the time between it, our intention and our realization of it is very, very long. In the fourth dimension, it is instantaneous. Whatever you see in front of you, you're doing it with every breath and every feeling you have inside of you, every intention that's coming from you. And, and that's what throws most people out of that world. This is uh, when in the Christians say, when Jesus said, uh, many are called, but few are chosen, is because what happens is when you get there, if you're not ready, if you have fear in you in anywhere, then you will create fear, and that fear will destroy you and throw you back into this world. And, uh, and so the, the intention, and this was seen all the way back into the time of, uh, for a long, I mean, way back in, into the ancient worlds, uh, you, you, had to, uh, you had to be fearless, really hold, uh, you might say, a happy heart. Because when you enter into these worlds, uh, these factors uh, influence your intention and, and d deeply uh, affect what you're creating. If you, if you actually are fearless and you are in your heart, uh, you're going to create a world that's stable. And that's why you stay there. How would you consider that we get to the position of being fearless? Maybe, Bill, you could look at that one. Because, Trunvalo, after our conversation a couple of days ago in Sedona, it became very apparent to me that we, or I, have been talking a lot about the chaos in this dimension in this reality and it's becoming apparent to me that perhaps it's a rather academic at this stage but bill if we're talking about a sense of fearlessness are we talking about a sense of fearlessness as in the human being that we are today well first of all everything around us is part of our playpen and it helps us to become in my view and yes. the the first big step of course is to be willing to surrender, go through the surrender phase where you put your ego into service to the larger whole. I mean, that's usually the biggest stopping point for people to stay in this world. And, of course, the attachments are associated with that and there are all kinds of those sorts of things. But if you are willing to put 
your ego in service to the larger whole, then you have come to trust the larger whole. And when you really begin to trust and are, are with that and come to the stage where you truly believe that, then you are willing to ride the river wherever it's going to take you. That's, that's where you are. That's, that's part of your being that you're willing to, to be part of that because you en- you'll join that adventure. Well, that means you do it without fear. You have already begun to trust the system, and you know, it, and you you have to come to the place to thine own self be true. You have to trust yourself, and you have to whatever whatever you trust, you have to honor. I mean, you just come to the place where you do it, and you sort of lie back and let your being go where it will go. Can I ask you, John Velo, in response to that, some people are going to say, "Okay, very well. Where should I be? What should we respond to that?" Well, I agree with what he's saying, what Bill's saying. The difference that I have is that what we found in exploring consciousness is that at the moment, almost everybody on Earth is centered either in their brain or in some area around their body or different parts of their body, but 98% of the people are centered in their brain. And as long as you're centered in any of those areas, the ego will be intact. And the only way that we know how to truly get outside of the ego is to completely leave, uh, spirit has to leave those functions totally and enter back into the original source which was in the heart. And uh, the heart is much older than the brain, we can prove that, it's an older source that you can see actually just in in conception. Uh, When you look at conception very carefully, uh, it begins as a sphere which is the ovum and it goes through various geometrical stages. Uh, when it reaches 512 cells, it's, it's sitting at, uh, into a, a toroidal field, and that toroidal field becomes the human heart. And there is a place in the birthing process where each one of us was a heart in our mother's womb, and we didn't have a brain. We didn't have arms and legs and eyes or anything. We were just a heart. And the body came out of the heart, and then the heart slowly moved inside the, the chest, and, uh, and so you can see intuitively that the heart is prior to or older than the brain. But the brain is a polarized instrument. I mean, if you ever hold one, hold it, it splits right in half. One half is male, one half is positive, negative, male and female, and it's polarized. And, but the heart is not. It is a unity field. And, uh, and so the secret from everything that I know, going even back into the Melchizedek consciousness, is that, that ascension is not going into another dimension, though you can think of it in that way. It is simply moving from the head back to the heart. Because a long time ago we were in the heart, and when we fell, we went to the brain. In that definition, it seems to me that that ego is absolutely chaotic at the moment in this very industrialized world that we have. Would it be fair enough to say that 4x2 around the back of the head now is required to bring down this quantum industrial world that we live in before we can reach the point of recognizing this? I don't know what will actually change us. That's to me, it's going to be very interesting to watch, to see, but we will change. And, and humanity is not going to die. We're not, this is not over. We're just beginning. Yep. And we, we are going to find our, 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 our source back into the heart again. 
and uh, and I've watched thousands of people do it. And, and when you do, everything changes because there you can find your fearless state. There you 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 can feel. You know you're directly connected to the source of life. It isn't a matter of uh, uh, of just believing it. it. You can you know you are, and in that knowing, there's nothing to fear. And so you, you arrive at the state pretty much in a normal, normal way, or I mean not normal, but I mean it just happens naturally. And to me, this is what we need to understand and remember. We all know how to do this. It isn't, any, it isn't like we have to learn how to do this. We just have to remember where we were once a long time ago. And, and then when we get back there, uh, it's easy from there on in. Uh, everything will come to us, whatever it is we need. Bill, can I ask you, if we look at 2012 and we look at the 23rd of December 2012 and Barbara Marks Hubbard was talking about this last night, could it be a question in where Dronvello is saying it's not clear as to how that will happen, that perhaps it will be purely psychological and that's how it's meant to be because as humanity we're almost going to talk ourselves into this event next year? <laughs> well... <clears throat> I don't know. I haven't given a lot of thought to that. I agree totally with the issue about the heart. I spent about four years working with the Institute of Heart Math back in the early 1990s, helping them learn how to do science. And I think the heart is the link to the source. As far as the brain is concerned, the conscious brain is really pretty dumb. And the unconscious is, is not in the physical body. So... Again, we have these, there are these semantic difficulties that, that we have. And the dilemma, the dilemma is there's, we are just babes crawling across the floor of the universe. That, that basically there's so many, whatever terms you want to use for dimensions, I have particular favorite approach to that, which I talk about in my books. And I think we evolve, we have evolved through to develop a really good science of, of space-time. And, and it's, it's as if there is a ladder which you climb from one dimension to another. And the science we've done for the last 400 years has crafted the lowest rung of that ladder. And it's crafted it very well, I think. But it's now time to climb to the second rung of the ladder. And the work that I and the folks that are working with me have been working on is developing ways to get to that second rung and to begin crafting the information that's there in that rung. And that, and being fully in that rung will be very different than being on the first rung of the ladder that we'll see and do much, much more in the whole universe. And the consciousness will be uh, very different. So I, I think We'll see probably a, a greater blending between what Trunfalo has been talking about and what I have been talking about. And I suspect one of the reasons he's here at this time is, in fact, to have voiced words and experiences of that. And one of the reasons I'm here at this time is to provide the science that will take us from one, the one, one rung to the next rung and be able to understand bridging between the two. Uh, so that it will help us understand when we're on the other side of the transition point from epoch to epoch. 
your response to that, Drunvela? Well, I agree with him again. We agree on a lot of things. Uh, actually, I, I just, I'll just, I just want to voice this. I, I really believe that when science is absolutely true, perfect, and spirituality is absolutely true, they're the same thing. Yes, they're I agree. The same thing. And, and the thing we have to understand is that you can't have something that we could call true unless you can do experiments. And so the premise of that equation, that science and technology is equal to spirituality, does that have... And the only thing that really separates it, that is holding back spiritual... That, na that nature is the truth. I mean, na what na we, we, all science looks into nature to find out what is real and what is not. And, uh, and nature is exactly everything, it, it has everything we need, we just have to understand it, and science does that, in consciousness also does that. Yeah, but it only does it in the, the one band at the moment, it's, that's where its tools are. Yeah. Its tools are deal with distance and time, but to understand nature, one has to do one heck of a lot more than that. that we've, we've made a step, a good step, and now we have to build other tools, we have to have other experiences, etc. Yes, uh, well, I agree. One of the things that I think when we're talking about what it is that's going to move uh, humanity into this higher level of existence, I believe is the magnetic field of the Earth and the so solar flares that are directly connected to that magnetic field. The way, it, to me, there is, a hum there is a cosmic DNA unfolding and, and what's coming from the sun to the Earth and the way the Earth responds with the magnetic fields and the way our emotional body and our heart responds to that is uh, I, I feel at this moment that is what is the cause that is going to uh, send us into another level of existence. Well, there, there is, I'd like to expand on that because what exists in today's orthodox science is magnetic dipoles. And what we begin to see in our work, which opens up to another domain like distance time, but it's based not on electric charge, it's based on magnetic charge. Not, not magnetic dipoles as in, the, as in the conventional, but it's a symmetric system in which it, it becomes magnetic charge and electric dipoles. And then the union of these two requires the coupler. John Vella, an ending statement as to how people could have hope for our next stage here. Well, f from our point of view, through all of these uh, changes and times that we're coming into, and, and I think we've just begun to see what's about to happen here, the answer is, is literally to live within your heart at all times, and to also, from the, from the native point of view, to connect your heart to the heart of the earth, which is literally the center of the earth. And, uh, and in so doing, it creates a vibration. This is what they all talk about. It, it puts a vibration in your body and in your spirit, and that is the vibration that they say is uh, the people that will survive this. Everybody will survive it at one level or another, but they are the ones that will become the new humanity. Because not everybody's going to make, make it through here uh, directly. Professor Bill Tiller. Well, I applaud what Trunvalo said. And many, many will make it. And many, many will, will move into... It won't even be through you. It won't even think of it as a future because you're going to have a, a different coordinate systems to reference what's going on. So it, it just to have some, one has to get some trust, but one has to become much more attuned with themselves inside. And yet we have an amazingly noisy world, which keep people from thinking about that or 
or feeling that or spending any serious time with that. That's the key issue. They've really got to get in touch with themselves. I agree. Dronvelo Melchizedek and Professor Bill Tiller, it has been a huge privilege bringing you two gentlemen together today, and I do thank you for joining me. Our joy. All right, thank you. And to our listeners today, I do hope you enjoyed this program. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors.